Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Excited to be with you all again today. Before we get rolling here with our interview, I want to tell you about the Honor God Network. If you are a content creator, if you are building websites or wanting to host websites somewhere, if you are building content via making podcasts and all of that sort of thing, you have to have somebody to host those websites. You have to have somebody to host that audio content. If you go to Anchor or Squarespace, you're going to be giving money to organizations that do not like Christianity. They do not like the scriptures. And so I want to encourage you to check out the link in the show notes to the Honor God Network. And you can go there. My friend Riley, Riley Voth has been building infrastructure for years to be able to help you network and do all the things that you need to do. Uh, and he loves his family. He loves the Lord. And he is a churchman. And so if you want to check that out, follow the link in the show notes. And you can find a company that loves you and loves uh, the scriptures and loves the gospel of Jesus. Okay. I'm talking to a new friend. I've known him for a few years off and on. He is my mother's pastor, actually, at a church in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I'm talking to Mark Anderson. Mark, how's it going? It's going great, Jared. We appreciate you having me. Absolutely. It's an honor. Why don't we go ahead and pray, and then we'll get right into our questions today. Father, we come to you again. This is take two, and technology can be a little bit uh, crazy sometimes. We thank you that we're able to hear, uh, sit here and talk to each other, even if it's just over a, uh, a cell phone. And so, God, I pray that you would be honored in this conversation, lead it. And uh, for everybody that's listening in across the board, wherever that they're at in life and in ministry, God, I pray they'd be encouraged and pointed to Christ today. Lead this time. I trust you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, brother, for those that may not know you, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and then what it is that you do. All right, great. Well, again, thank you for allowing me to share. I'm very honored that you would ask me. And, uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, I grew up in Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I lived there 24 of my first 26 years and uh, became a Christian when I was eight years old. And, uh, and then... Uh, my, my junior year of high school, we moved to Clearwater, Florida. My dad took a church there and pastored there for about 30 years. And now he's retired back in the Mid-Cities area where he was an interim pastor of First Euless, First Baptist Dallas, First Wichita Falls, several of those churches. Wow. And uh, so I had a great uh, a great perspective about, about the, the gospel, about the ministry, and uh, great parents, you know, who, who lived it out every day. Uh, you know, great, great examples of the faith. And uh, I uh, went to Baylor University, and there I was. Uh, uh, my parents had gone there. My dad had played football there, and so I went and with the idea of playing football. I played one year, and then during that year, I met my wife Karen. Uh, her mother had gone to that school, and her father. Uh, was the pastor of University Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas, for 39 years. Okay. Tap uh, on the Razorbacks. And so she had a great perspective about about uh, the, the ministry as well, and that really helped us in the early years of our, our marriage and our ministry uh, as we started out. So uh, we married after school, and I'll tell you more about kind of some of the places I've been, but married her. We have four children. Uh, three girls and a boy. They all love the Lord and married uh, godly spouses. They live all over the country and uh, have seven grandchildren. So very, very blessed. 
That's incredible. So do you get to see your grandkids? I guess you got to travel a little bit to see them, but do you get to see them pretty regularly? Well, my oldest daughter and her family live about 100 yards from us. Okay. And a gravel road between us, so we see the five grandkids a lot. Awesome. And then this past week, we moved our youngest daughter and her husband. He's a student pastor in North Carolina and moved to uh, Johnson City, Tennessee. Okay. They have two children. My son is a pilot in the Air Force. He's stationed in Hawaii. He married last year. And my other daughter, she lives in Michigan, and she married this past year as well. So more kids to come. Man, praise the Lord. It's incredible. It's cool to be able to see generations like that and that your kids love the Lord and and are walking with Him. That's awesome. Praise God. Uh, So you said your father was an interim pastor and did some some ministry. Did you say First Baptist? Is that is that the same where W.A. Criswell was? Uh, Yes. First, really? Yeah, he was, Matt Brunson was the pastor and left to go to Florida. And so dad became an intentional pastor there for two years. Okay. And uh, really had a great experience. It was, you know, a lot of people see that church at one point uh, as the Mecca Mm -hmm. of Baptist life. And uh, so he he really enjoyed it. He had a great, great ministry there for two years and helped transition for the new pastor, Robert Jeffers. Yeah. Okay. So now your grandfather, was he, a, was he in ministry as well? Or was your, your father was the first generation pastor in the family? No, my dad was first generation. It's interesting. You asked that question. My father, when he was born, uh, his, uh, father was killed in an oil field accident. Oh my. He died about a few weeks after he was born. And so his mother, uh, basically, uh, really struggled and had three children. The oldest had just married. And so uh, she basically, the oldest sister took everybody in except for her. She lived somewhere. Dad didn't know for years, his mother. Uh, Eventually he did. And then uh, my father-in-law, his father committed suicide when he was three years old. Hmm. When when age was three years old. So they were saved radically at age 17. Uh, They, they, it's amazing how, how they've, done what they have done without having a father in their lives. Mm. They're a man, but, you know, they taught them how to hunt and fish and right. do those kind of but, but no spiritual, real spiritual example. Mm. Wow. Now, then your wife, her father was a pastor. So what about that side? Was his dad a pastor? Was he first-generation pastor? No, no that's who I, I mentioned. His oh, okay, yeah. His dad is the one. Okay. His father committed suicide three. Okay, gotcha. I was at SMU. Was at, went to SMU in Dallas and uh, had a friend lead him to Christ. And HD was radically saved, began to grow. Hmm. Uh, he 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 was in the Air Force, uh, was a, a pilot as well. And then God called him into ministry and stayed in the Air Reserves for uh, about twenty five years. Retired as a brigadier general in the Air Force as well okay. as pastor. He uh, he had a great ministry. He had. About a thousand college students every Sunday wow. in his church. Uh, some you may know uh, Robert Lewis with Men's Fraternity. Yeah, uh, yeah. Dennis Raising a modern Rainey, day night. Dennis Rainey, Family yeah. Life Ministry. Yep. They all came to that church. Okay. During Oh, fantastic. Okay, very cool. Actually, a few years back, this is before we, we started our church, so Dennis Rainey uh, partners with Bob Lupine. And Bob yep. Lapine is one of the elders at, uh, let's see, what's the name of the church in Little Rock? And 
the decision that my wife and I had to make is we had a mutual friend that connected me with that church, and I actually was going to go down and do a visit to become their first staff person, their first staff pastor at the church uh, down there and be interviewed for that whole deal and had a great conversation, a few conversations with Bob Bob Lapine. I knew he was connected with Family Life today as well. But, uh, okay, so, you know, with your dad then and, you know, being in ministry, being a, a son of a pastor, it, uh, you know, there's the PK stereotypes that, you know, we all know about, but it sounds like God preserved you from that kind of negative stereotype and, and maybe you do have some sort of, uh, you know, wild past or something like that. But at some point, God did call you into ministry. And so what was that process like for you growing up that family from the in, navigating this internal call that the Holy Spirit gives to us and then that external process into ministry? What was that like for you? Well, it's a great question. First of all, uh, I was very fortunate to have uh, mom and dad, particularly dad, who preached it on Sunday, lived out during the week. Awesome. He treated us like normal kids. He told us that, that we're a Christian family, not because uh, we're in the pastorate, but because of our relationship with God. And uh, he he was very good at protecting us from the, the normal PK stuff. A lot of the problems with preacher's kids uh, really has, doesn't have to do with the church. It has to do with what's going on in the home. Yeah, amen. And, yeah, and so... Uh, Dad was just just great about letting us live a normal life, and he never influenced me or pressured me to be in the ministry. Uh, I was um, I was about twelve years old. I was at a camp, uh, a missions camp, and uh, a missionary was talking about you know giving your life to serve God, and so it was an open tabernacle. I'll never forget it. I went down, told the guy that I thought you know God wanted me to be a preacher. Dad was a preacher, so I thought I'd be a preacher. And so I came home, and Dad was very wise. He said, well, let's keep that between me and you and the Lord, and let's see what happens. Okay. And he had seen kids who made emotional decisions as a pastor. And then there's the pressure. Oh, little Mark, he's going to be a pastor one day and all that. And you feel that that expectation. But, but And that's exactly what happened. I didn't really share that with anyone. By junior high years, senior high, senior high high school, I just knew that God had called me. That conviction became deeper. I began to get involved in ministry even during those years. I knew I was going to go to Baylor University. I was going to go to Southwestern Seminary. I mean, it was really cut and dry for me. Okay. I, I didn't wait from that. And uh, you know, God made it made me very clear, and I've never questioned that. I've, mm. I've really had a deep peace and conviction about it. That's awesome. And so then you get out of seminary then. You go to so Baylor and then immediately to seminary after that. Is that right? Then tell me the process of then, you know, do you put out resumes? Do you have some friends? I mean, where do, where do you end up going? You do youth ministry first? Do you go right into pastoral ministry? What was that process like? Well, it's interesting. I thought God was going to send me right out of seminary to be a pastor. I was pastoring a, a country church, a seminary church, we call them. Uh, this church... In 50 years, had 25 pastors. So I, I uh, drove 100 miles and pastored this little church. And I thought the next step would be to go to a church as a senior pastor. I was a grader for a professor and grading papers the last semester that I was to graduate. And uh, I remember sitting at the desk and, and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm hauling trash as a job. Uh, I, I was... Uh, grading these papers. My wife is 
about eight months pregnant and with our first child and what am I going to do? You know? And so I was praying and with, I'm literally within two hours, the placement office called and it was first Baptist Orlando, Florida. And they wanted to interview me for several openings that they had. Okay. I said, was that Jim Henry's church? They said, yes, it is. I said, I'll be there. So I knew Jim, I knew the church, uh, living in Clearwater and then Noah in Orlando and so, uh, to make a long story short, I became their college pastor, uh, first college pastor that they had ever hired. Okay. And I was the chaplain at University of Central Florida for the football team and worked with the, the great staff, uh, learned a lot. It was a very large church, so I saw a lot behind the scenes that really helped prepare me. I didn't realize how much it would later down the road. I was there five years. And then God called me to First Baptist Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, outside of Tulsa, where I served there as an associate pastor. During that time, we took a church under our wing. It's what we call revitalization now. Mm-hmm. But we took that church under our wing. They'd gotten down to about 25 members. The pastor asked me to go be that pastor for a season. So Sundays and Wednesdays, I was there one day during the week. I still had all my responsibilities at the mother church. Mm-hmm. But but uh, that gave me great experience. And so uh, then uh, I knew that God was calling me to be a senior pastor. Those experiences were great. I enjoyed them. But down deep inside, I always felt that my real calling was to be a senior pastor. So a guy called me that uh, had, had been in uh, uh, my church in uh in oklahoma and he said hey we are he was here in, in here at this church in kate and he said we're looking for a pastor our guy just left and how did we do this so i told him the process and he said well why don't you send your resume i said okay so i sent my resume and i'm gonna take a little bit of time with this okay it's important to see you know how god works but he uh uh, they got my resume and it got down to where they were, they asked me to come be the pastor. I, I, I turned it down. I didn't feel like that was the right decision for several reasons, but I said, I just, I just don't feel at peace about it. Okay. So for the next six weeks, I was miserable. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I mean, it was, it wasn't good. And so, uh, one day I, uh, I went to the Southern Baptist Convention in June and uh, Jim Henry had been elected as president of the convention. So I was walking to get a seat, and I went behind the, the conference building, convention center, down a hallway behind the stage by myself. Nobody else was there. Then all of a sudden, there was Jim Henry with a TV crew, and they were getting ready to interview him. And he said, hey, Mark, I hear you're going to Kate. And I said, well, Jim, I was. He was a reference. I said, I was, but I turned him down. And I've been miserable ever since. And he grabbed me, pulled me in, and he said, I, I've been there. I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what did you do? But I called him. And he said, you need to call him and tell him that you've been miserable and that you missed it. And I said, well, okay. So I thought about it, and I thought, well, maybe I should do that. I didn't know. I get to my hotel that night. It's a Wednesday night. And my red light's blinking on the phone. Yeah, it's my dad. He left a message. Okay. So then you're not going to believe what happened tonight. And I said, well, why? He said, well, this couple comes up to me after church, and they tell me that they are from Cape Girardeau, Missouri, 
that they're on vacation. They drove through the town, saw the marquee, Bill Anderson pastor, on the way to the beach. And they said, well, maybe that's Mark's dad's church. Let's go there tonight to church. They walk into the church, he says, and and say, we're from, you know, uh, Kate. and, And this girl says, my dad is on the search committee. And my dad had said, if anybody, if we found anybody who knew Mark, to, to tell him that my dad's been praying that he's been miserable and couldn't eat or sleep since he said that, since he turned us down. And, I mean, out of the blue, this thing happens. Wow. So I said, well, let me tell you what happened to me today. I said, Dad, what do I do? He said, what do you mean, what do you do? You call him and you tell him. So, you know, I say that to say that's what I needed hmm. to secure God's call and and to know that... This is exactly what he wanted me to do at this time. So to continue the story, we came here. We were here for six years, had a great experience, mm-hmm. relocated the church. And then a church in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, asked me to come. They were getting ready to buy 60 acres and relocate their church, and they wanted a pastor who had experience doing that. Okay. So I had no reason to leave, but I went there, and for eight years I was there, and uh, it was it was a great experience. It's a different kind of experience in that relocation process. This church here at Linwood went through some problems, and uh, they, 14 years ago, asked me to come back, which okay. was odd in this world. Right. But they asked me to come back, so we did, and it's been a, a great experience. Man, and that's great. That's really neat to see, and I think a lot of guys are in situations where they, they want to be in one place for a very long time, but rarely does that happen in ministry. And that's the prayer for Jordan and I, is that we're in one place for a very long time. But I realize that, you know, as guys are praying through different stages and stages of life and ministry, that they're going to be navigating those things. And sometimes it's great when God just makes it really clear like that and really right. paves the way, slams the door shut, and, and kind of kicks us through the door, uh, opens the door and, and kicks us through it when it's the right time. And, uh, pra- praise God. Okay. Well, let, let me go back a little bit because you'd mentioned something about, we talked about PKs and what you realize about most of the PKs, the trouble's not with the church, but it's with the, with the pastor's family. You have believing children and now they're starting their families and, and having children and all of that. And that's wonderful. That's what we want to see. If we fail, I mean, this is the training guard for pastoral ministry. Obviously is the home. I mean, if you can't manage the home, first Timothy three, Titus one, then you can't be a pastor. That is the training ground for pastoral ministry. One of the things I've tried to encourage guys with is that if you want to be a better pastor, then, then be the best husband and father that you can be. And then that will roll over into your life and within the local church. And, uh, so for you, what's, what's been, how's been the balance, not necessarily the balance because I'm not looking necessarily looking for like hours here, an hour chart or anything like that, but priorities of, of rightly prioritizing and not feeling this unnecessary guilt uh, that a lot of pastors feel that I got to put 60, 80 hours a week into official church work because I'm being remunerated for my work from the church, and then my family ends up being sacrificed, and, and time with them ends up being sacrificed, to where if somebody ends up with their feelings hurt, obviously you don't want anybody to, to you know, have their feelings hurt or anything like that. But I certainly want to prioritize my family. I want to want to protect them. So how, how have you nav- navigated that over the years when your kids were younger and, and just all the issues that are, you know, circulate around family, church life, and all of that? I would say, first of all, that there are different seasons in life and in ministry. And so, you, you know, I, again, I was very fortunate to grow up in a healthy pastor's home. My dad pastored a very large church. It was very demanding. 
but but there was no question his priorities. Mm. And, and, and I've, I've said this many times that the priorities have to be our relationship to God, you know, the daily maintenance that you need, uh, and then your family. You know, your, your family has to, you know, my wife needs to know that I'm not married to the church. Mm-hmm. I'm married to her. And, and the church can become a mistress if we're not careful. Uh, you know, well-intentioned guys find themselves, you know, and, and it's noble that they want to do their very best. But your church, the expectation in most churches, really, is that, that a pastor take care of his family, you know, that he pays attention to his family. Now, some churches, I, I would think some small churches may be more demanding in some ways. But 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 for me, you know, I, 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 I learned this from my father. Don't take your work home. Mm. So when I, when I you know, I, I get here early. And I get up early, and that's been my my, my practice for many years. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, you know, have my time with the Lord, and I exercise, and I get all that done out of the way, and then I get to church, and I work here at church, and you know, do all the things that I need to do: visit people, I go to the hospitals, I counsel, I study. You know, I, I try to be well balanced in that. I like all of it. I don't like just one thing. I like it all. And that's 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 my giftedness, I guess. But when it's 5, 530, uh, sometimes 6, I cut out and I eat with my family. I learned this too early in ministry that I minimize having meetings during the weekday. If it is, it's going to be on a Wednesday. It's when we're normally at church. But our, our meetings are Sundays and Wednesdays. Rarely do we have a meeting on a weeknight or a weekend. Because, look, these lay people, they work all day. They don't want to be at another meeting at mm-hmm. night. They want to be at the I want to be with my family, and I need to invest in my family, uh, especially if you've got young kids at home. Uh, you know, I mean, a guy, you know, his job doesn't quit. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go home, my wife knows that she's going to get a break because I'm coming home to help her, but I don't get a break. And I'm not, that's not a self-pity thing. It's just the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a need there that I have to fulfill as part of my responsibility as a father. So, so uh, I was very committed to that and learned to take my kids on dates uh, on, on the weekends, you know, individually. You know, I just kind of rotate that around. Karen and I made it a priority that Friday lunch was going to be our time, and that's where we look at the calendar for the next week. We, hey, did I miss something this past week? You know, have I done something that I need to do different? Uh, you know, and so it's a good time in a neutral setting. Nothing's happened. We can talk about maybe something that we should have talked about earlier, and maybe yeah. we just didn't have the time to do so. That kind of thing. And 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 then I find out that you know I find that you know if you really keep your priorities right, God's going to honor that and bless that. And mm-hmm. I feel like He has for 40, 40 years now. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Well, let's. Uh... Let's transition a little bit. Let's get into some controversial stuff. And uh, <laughs> you, I don't know if you know this, but you're pastoring a large church, and large churches are not supposed to touch controversial things. But here I'm talking to my mom, and she's saying, hey, Jared, you know, Mark is making some good comments about CRT and, and pushing back against some of the stuff that's been going on over the last few years. And he's, you know, he's doing it with the authority of the Scriptures, and it's just really good. And, and I'm kind of listening in because... 
you know, the caricature of large churches, larger churches, is that, hey, listen, there's a lot of people here. You have people on the right, people on the left. You have, uh, you know, basically you're a firefighter, always putting out fires and, and making sure that people are, you know, happy and, and trying not to, you know, lead 40% of your church to run off because they're mad at you or something like that. And I had a lot of respect from you for afar, from afar for being able to speak with clarity on, on some of these issues. But, uh, I mean, that, that's an unpopular thing. And I, I just wanted to know what was your motive behind some of the stands that you guys have taken over the last couple of years? Because obviously pretty unprecedented times in ministry for all of us, even guys, you know, uh, that are a few years down the road than I am, like yourself, where th- this isn't just unprecedented for me. I'm almost, I'll be 39 here in a few months, but, um, this is, you know, new ground for me the last two and a half years and, uh, really even the last five years, what's happened culturally with, uh, just sexual and gender erosion and the craziness that's happening in our society up is down and down is up, left is right and right is left kind of thing. But you guys are stepping out and speaking to things that need to be spoken to. W- what led you to do that? And has there been any negative repercussions? And if so, was it worth it? Great question again. I, first of all, I've always held the position that I need to be faithful to God's word. That's where the authority, that's where our moral authority comes from. Yes, amen. So, so, you know, it doesn't matter what the topic is, that if I stay faithful to God's word and preach it, that God's going to honor that and bless that. And sometimes, you have to deal with issues, and that's why I like preaching through books of the Bible. I do some topical series, but they're textual when I do that, like on the family or something like that. But when uh, I preach through a book of the Bible, then, you know, you can't skip passages of Scripture. Yep. You know, you got to deal with it. And so uh, so that's foundational. But I've also learned that in moments like these, when there is an issue, a current issue that has, has taken place, uh, that that it's important, I think, for a pastor to speak to that issue if it relates to the Bible. Scripture speaks to it, you know, a moral issue in particular. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't I don't get political necessarily, but I, I, if it's a if it's an issue that speaks and the Bible speaks to it, then I'm going to speak about it. For instance, whether several years ago when the Supreme Court uh, uh, legalized uh, same sex marriage. It was a five-four decision. If you remember, it was on a Friday. I was I was on vacation down at the beach, and uh, I came home and Saturday wrote another sermon. I already had one ready, but I wrote another sermon on that issue because your people are wanting to know how does God, what does God say about this? Yeah. How should Christians respond to this? So, so that's how I've approached that. And so, you know, last year when we had our patriotic service that we do each year. Uh, my sermon was, Will the Church Go Woke? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was the buzzword at the time. And so I wanted to help our, our people understand what does that word mean and why is that such an issue from a spiritual standpoint. And, and, and yeah, sometimes people uh, may not like what you say. I would say 99% of the people in our church over the, all the years that I've been a pastor, they, they know I've been faithful to God's word, first of all. Mm-hmm. And so I deal with issues in the scripture that may be controversial and try to bring clarity to it. So whenever I speak to a particular issue, a current event, then they, you know, they naturally, uh, you know, expect it. They expect it now that I'm speak to it. Yeah, that's good. I love that. When issues are 
biblical or theological, it doesn't matter what people label them. If they label it political, that's up to them if they label it political. But if God speaks to it, and that, that's the thing that's been really encouraging to me and really life-giving over the last few years is really understanding that God's word is authoritative in the public square, re- whether or not people recognize that. It's just like the kingship of Christ. You know, Christ is king, whether you recognize that or not. And I appreciate, you know, a church like yours stepping up and, and speaking to things from the scriptures and saying, here's what God has to say. And uh, it's needed. We need that. And we need pastors all across this country of smaller churches and larger churches training our people to how to think biblically. Because, you know, honestly, I mean, our people are wanting to think through these issues biblically. And if we just say, well, that's just those are political things or we, we just can't can't do that. then I think we're really laying down our responsibility as shepherds of training our people to think biblically in all things. No, I think you gain more respect if you speak to the issue. I have people, not even members of our church, you know, they'll see me in the store and say, hey, I heard you preaching on this. And, you know, they're, they're grateful that, you know, somebody's standing up. And, and, and there are other pastors who do so. But I, I would say, Jared, that for you guys that are younger, you know, you're going to have to step up. You know, I mean, there, there's going to be more of this happening. And especially as it comes to the November elections, uh, two years from now when we have the presidential election. You know, these next two years are going to be very critical for the church, understanding the issues, be informed, and know what 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 is God's response to that to help your people. And I tell you also that it's important for your young people to be hearing it from the pulpit because it, it's, it's relevant to them. I mean, they're dealing with this at the schools, and uh, so... You know, they're, they're trying to determine, and we, we don't want to sell our kids short thinking that, well, you know, this is not an important deal, or, or maybe it's already too late. No, it's not too late. Yeah. You know, we've got to save the next generation. Yeah, absolutely. Yes and amen. So Steve Farrar, are you familiar with with Steve Farrar at all? Okay. Well, he passed away, as you know, I'm sure, last year, and I was able to interview him uh, about a year before he died, and then I was able to interview his sons right after he died, and it was two phenomenal conversations. But one of the things we talked about in that book is his book, or in those uh, conversations, is his book, Finishing Strong. I think that's what it's called. I'm looking over my shoulder here. Finishing Strong or Finishing Well. What he does is he does a case, or he, he opens up a study that Howard Hendricks did from DTS years ago, and it was 240-something pastors, and he went through all these moral failures of these 240-something pastors that were... Uh, over a 10-year period or something like that. I, I'm missing some of the details here, but the things that came out of that study is that each one of them failed with their basic uh, personal disciplines. Uh, they spent time alone with women that were not their wives, and there was some third piece. But it was just basic things that, that was the common denominator between all these 240-something you know, ministry failures. One of the things that I've tried to help guys with, and I've really, I mean, I've mentioned it so many times now. A lot of the guys, when they're hearing this, they're like, okay, Jared, I know exactly what you're going to say. But my criteria for finishing ministry well is pretty basic. It's, you know, finishing the formal retirement age. I know that we never actually retire, where we never walk away from, from ministry as the people of God. You know, there is no formal retirement in the scriptures. But if we get to just that formal retirement age, loving Jesus and knowing that we're loved by him, and, and that just the personal walk with the Lord is there. Our marriage is intact and we actually like each other, you know, that, that our spouses are not just present with each other, but they love each other and, and are getting along. Uh, their kids are, are believers walking with the Lord 
they're still making disciples, so they're still not they're they're understanding that they personally are disciple makers, not the organization as the church uh, is responsible for the Great Commission, but individual Christians are responsible to make make disciples. And then finally, there's no hidden moral failures. So if you can get to that formal ministry age where those things are intact, it's like, man, that's a successful pastor. And here's the thing, Mark. This is the, this is my my uh, lament as I kind of look at the the na- and navigate. Uh, friends of mine that have not finished well, f- friends of mine that in ministry have even uh, a friend committed suicide, and things that are just devastating. And it looked like they're running well. What happened? I've met one. I know one pastor personally that meets that basic criteria that has finished ministry well. And so, what what is the key? Uh, to, I mean, you've been at it for a while, you know, like, and you've mentioned this from your observing from your father and even from your father-in-law, some things. Uh, but, but I mean, how, how are guys to not just be another statistic? And it, it's not inevitable that we, you know, make the mistakes of the 241 or everybody else. So what, what's the key to spiritual health over the long haul as a pastor? When I was, when I was in seminary, I heard a pastor of a very large church tell us, he had read a statistic somewhere that 10% of those who start the ministry finish the ministry in retirement age. One out of 10. Hmm. That's that alarming. I, I, I was blown away by that statistic. But I look back over the years, and, and the guys that I went to school with, the guys who started out, it's, it's pretty close. Hmm. Wow. And, yeah. So I, I, I think, you know, there are a few simple things, key things. First of all, that you have to just maintain your walk with Christ. Uh, you know, sermon preparation can't be a substitute for your own personal walk. And, uh, you know, I, I separate the two. And I don't, I'm not legalistic about this because I talk to other pastors and other men about spending time with God in prayer and Bible study. But, but it needs to be a regular habit, uh, uh and, and very consistent, uh, that, that, that keeps you grounded. You know, so you're hearing the Spirit when He's convicting you of sin or helping you to see what's ahead, being aware of the landmines uh, that are out there. Uh, you have to come back to your calling. You, you know, you got to just, you know, first of all, you got to know you're called when you start out. Right. Some of the guys step away because they really weren't called. They got into it for different reasons, different motiva- motivations. Uh, it may not have been necessarily a moral failure. So for me, I just come back to my calling. This is what God's called me to do. He's equipped me to do it. And so I'm, I'm confident in Him yeah. you know, to do what he's, he's called me to do. Uh, I, I've always prayed, uh, Lord, don't let me get cynical in the ministry. Don't get cynical. It's easy to focus on people and, and how, you know, I think, I think a pastor who really is sincere you know, has high expectations for his people. Mm-hmm. He wants everybody to play on the 18. You don't want people sitting on the bench, you know, not just wearing a jersey. I mean, you want to be in the game. And so I'm, I'm trying to help people uh, do that. And sometimes uh, there's a book years ago that was written, Well-Intentioned Dragons. And they're good people, but sometimes they don't see how the enemy is using them uh, to, to subvert God's work in the kingdom. It can mm. affect us personally. So... I've just, you know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, what you do, do unto the Lord. So, so I don't want to get cynical. And then we talked about it earlier. It's just keeping your priorities right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would say, again, my wife and I, we've been married 40 years, uh, two weeks from before we won. And we do like each other, not just love each other. 
and we've grown in our relationship over the years and we're enjoying this season of our lives and I know one day I'll step aside from being the vocational pastor here but God will recommission me to do something else for him whatever that may be but I'll, I you know my heart's desire is to to really finish strong and and uh, help the next guy who's going to follow me on a, on, on, a, you know, on a church level, but also for my family, my kids, and my grandkids. I want to, you know, be the be the man in their lives that I need to be. Yeah, amen. It's good stuff. Well, let's wrap this up. This has been a lot of fun, a lot of good stuff. Why don't we? I do this every time, so everybody knows what's coming. And uh, we talked a little bit about, about this beforehand, but I want to focus our attention on on God and His grace in our lives. And so, Mark, tell us why you love Jesus so much, brother. Well, the primary reason is that He, he saved me. He brought me into a relationship with Him. You know, I didn't deserve it. You know, often I'll, I'll, I walk my dog early in the morning, first thing I do. And, you know, if, if it's dark, I see the moon and the stars and the sun's rising. And then I'm reminded... What is man that you are mindful of him? And I'll say, God, who am I that you're mindful of me and, and that you would save me? And that just, it's an overwhelming experience when that comes to my mind. And so uh, I praise God that, that I'm in a relationship with him and, and also that he's using me for his purpose. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that. For that, uh, the privilege, the honor of serving him and being his ambassador, his servant, and being a mouthpiece in the culture that so desperately needs to hear the love of Christ. And, uh, you know, it all centers centers on the gospel. Everything that we're doing is, uh, you know, glorifying God by being Christ-like and helping others know Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Mark, thanks so much for making time for this, brother. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate you so much. Absolutely. Guys, we've been talking to Mark Anderson. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. And for more information about the ministry, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co.